TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by a passionate foodie and fermentationist. I love that, fermentationist. Teaching hands-on workshops about the art of fermentation. She's been fermenting for years, and it wasn't until seven years ago her family really needed focus on gut healing that it started to take center stage. She's been focused on studying, researching, reading, and experimenting with foods that have the ability to heal, soothe, rebuild, and nourish her growing family, which sounds awesome. She runs workshops. She has a couple of eBooks that are out as well that we're going to talk about a little bit later. But for now, let's welcome to the show Jane Jenkinson from the Whole Food Family. Welcome, Jane. Thank you. Nice to be here. Great to have you on board. And we were just discussing it. And you are actually a listener. You've, you're a fan of the show. How good's that? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I went to tell Jane all about the show and how it's going to work. And she was like, yeah. I know, I got it covered, it's fine, <laughs> so that's awesome. So tell us about your journey, Jane, what's, what's the journey been with you and your family? Yeah, I guess it's tricky to know where to start. For us, um, food's always been a massive part of, of life growing up. We grew up in a real foodie family, so food's been always a big focus, but um, I suppose for us on this health journey, it's been what to do with kids. Um, we're always conscious about what we fed our children and... Um, you know, what went into their mouths and what was going to nourish them. But when my eldest was, was four, which was that, you know, seven years ago, as you said in the introduction, he had a bit of a, um, I suppose, some findings in his gut health that really knocked us for a six. And we had to really then knuckle down and focus on how to rebuild his little body up and how to, to nourish him and give him foods to make him a kind of a normal, stable, um, functioning boy with the vitality and, and, and things that we, we wanted in his life. So it, for us, it was that um, almost like a must. We had to really focus on food. We felt yeah. like it was our, our job to, to keep him healthy. And so we had a big focus on food and I started researching into what I could do and, and what foods affected him. And, um, you know, loving food anyway, it gave me an opportunity to play and experiment. So it wasn't a chore for me. It was something that was like an exciting challenge. Mm-hmm. I suppose someone says gluten-free. I'm like, cool, what can I do with gluten-free? It wasn't scary. And when they say you have to go dairy-free, I'm like, okay, great. So what else can I do? So it was always taken on board with a um, like a, a good challenge, I suppose, yep. the opportunity to learn, the opportunity to grow. And we've never had the, you know, his food, our food. It's always been as a family, this is what we're doing. So any time he opens a fridge up, there's anything for him to eat. It's not like, no, no, darling, you can't have that. So it's always been our food as a family. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's kind of where it started for us. So seven years is a long time for studying, and that's, you know, it kind of brought us around to where we are now. All right, so let's talk about some of that. So what were the challenges? What were the findings that you found with your son at, that, at four years of age? Yeah, so he had... Basically, a topsy-turvy gut. He had zero E. coli, which is a really important bacteria um, inside our gastrointestinal tract, and he had none of it that show up, show up in, um, in a test. And then he also um, had other bacteria that really shouldn't be in your gastrointestinal system, especially in such large levels. So the findings showed what, what should have really shown an autistic picture. What he wasn't. He was a normal functioning boy, and I think it's because of the food that he was already 
eating. He grew up, um, you know, baby led weaning, ate real foods. Um, it was very focused on, you know, organic and, and foods that we could, um, we could see where it came from. Like we didn't have boxes of Firex on the, on the table and things like that. And, you know, he wasn't a wheat bix kid. So I think from his upbringing and the type of whole foods we ate normally kept him together, so to speak, um, and allowed him to, to function. But his, his little body was screaming out. So how did you get to the stage then where you were getting his gut health tested? I mean, had you uh, had anything shown up that had caused you concern <laughs> yeah. or was it just the fact that you just wanted to check? And, and yeah, had you been to funny. other practitioners as well or was this the first yeah. point of call? Not really. I think we're always focused on health. So we're always looking for what else we can do as a family to, um, to thrive. I think that's always been a, a really um, great thing with Hubby and I is we've always looked for, you know, let's try this and what about that um, kind of thing. He was, we were going to something called Essential Play, which is a baby sensory type, uh, like gym class that we went to for stimulation every week and we're just chatting with the teachers there. Um, they had a lot to do with children who had sensory processing disorders and issues. So they had these kind of diagnostic tests available to them. So it was something I suppose that we were aware existed um, and... I think we thought, well, you know, why don't we, we get tested just to see where we're at with things. It wasn't that he had problems. It wasn't that there was anything flagging. Um, he ground his teeth at night time. He was a restless sleeper. Um, you know, he was very hyperactive and it looked like there was foods that were causing the the hyperactivity. So certain things mm. caused behavioural um, kind of differences, I suppose, for want of a better word. So we kind of thought, you know, why don't we get things tested just to see where we're at? I think we we're looking for like a candida overgrowth or something like that. Like we weren't looking for any big problems. It was more to just get a baseline um, for anything and this, this showed up instead. So the the doctor was stumped that he was a, a child that spoke normally, that would look him in the eye, that would, um, you know, have what's called normal play. Like he didn't have any of the major signs of, of any kind of processing disorders so yeah we were we were pretty blessed in that way I suppose. And what were the suggestions around how this had come about? I mean obviously you'd been pretty obviously good with the diet and with the food up until that point so what was the suggestion as to how your, your child had ended up in this situation? Yeah I guess they don't really know all the questions about your pregnancy and your birth you know were, were completely you know we had no issues I didn't take any medication through pregnancy he was a gorgeous water birth there was no medication used in that time there's no stressful periods um, I was a really healthy, um, you know, person going into pregnancy. I'd never had any major things in that short time period. And from what I'm reading more and more, really the the microbiology that we pass on to our children kind of comes from us and from our grandparents. It's an mm. accumulation over generations. So who knows where it originally came from, but the firstborn tends to get the load. So really he got everything <laughs> all at once, um, mm. poor darling. So he, he would have got the accumulation from me and, and from my parents. I mean, I did spend a, a large amount of time living in Brazil and I know that I had health issues from, from living there. I got really quite sick at, at some stages over there and was hospitalised for a little bit. Um, so whether there was some, some great thing that I picked up that then passed on to him, who knows? I guess it's just that culmination of life experiences in your microbiology that gets um, passed on. Yeah, and so for you, has whole food been something that you've been into throughout your lifetime or has that come on? Was there a turning point for you as well? Food's always been big. <laughs> I yep. always love different flavours and, and cultures and tastes. As far as the health aspect of it, I think we've always 
being a family to go for, you know, salad and, and meats and things as opposed to something from a packet. That's just been how we're brought up. Um, so we weren't a, a chip and cordial kind of family. So I think it, it was part of the upbringing that whole food was there. As far as real health food, that probably was more of a focus when we decided we want to conceive. Mm. So once we decided we wanted to have kids, there was a big year-long um, kind of cleanse of our bodies to go, okay, let's get ourselves into the proper, you know, optimal shape we can for, for having having babies. So really that's pretty where the biggest turning point was for me is the, the 12 months before um, conceiving. It's a great motivator, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and it probably makes it all the more amazing that there were issues, given that you'd, you'd given yourself that time, that you'd really been conscious of it, you'd prepared, you'd even prior to that time had been pretty conscious of foods. So, you know, it's amazing that this situation has evolved, but it just goes to show that, you know, we can't control everything and we don't know everything. And, you know, even if we were perfect in what we did, there's probably some stuff we don't know that we couldn't avoid because we don't know about it yet. So, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a great lesson in, you know, not blaming ourselves and beating ourselves up, but just doing the best we can with what we know and understanding that sometimes stuff still happens. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you get people who are the epitome of health who still get health complications. I mean, you can't expect a doctor never to get sick. You can't expect a, you know, a, a physio never to have a, a corked thigh. Things happen even with the knowledge that we possess. It's just part of living this, you know, brilliant world with, with variants. So you've just got to, I suppose, deal with it the best you can and, and find a way out. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I found interesting, Jane, was you said that when the, when this sort of diagnosis happened, when you found out this information, that for you it was just, well, you must focus on food. It was like there was no choice there. Um, but, you know, for lots of people, that's not as obvious to them. You know, that's not necessarily where they would start. They may go down a more medical route. They may, you know, look at various different aspects. Why was it for you that, that food was just something you had to do, you had to change? And why was it so obvious to you that that was going to be what was going to make the difference? I don't know. I guess it's probably the the care and the way that we we bring our kids up is that we want to deal with what we can and what we can manipulate. Like I can control the food that comes into my family's house. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I am medically trained. I'm a registered nurse, but it's not me to diagnose. So I guess I felt like I'll change what I can change. And then if we still don't have um, an answer, then we'll take the next step and, and seek further help and then if that doesn't help then we'll take another step so I think for me I wanted to focus on something that I could control and I could control the food and I could make it you know kind of the healthiest version of food that will nourish his body for his particular needs um, and then if that doesn't cause a, a change or have a have a positive effect then we'll we'll see what else. So to what degree did your background as a nurse and, and obviously you know experiencing the Western medical paradigm and, and seeing it in action inside the hospital. To what, in, to what uh, you know, degree did that impact on your decision to try and be a more, more, bit more proactive about this, to try and look at your own lifestyles, your own diets and things, rather than, as I said, perhaps going down a more medical route? Yeah, I, I suppose with my background, it would have been obvious to go back to Western medicine. But I think, I mean, I worked in intensive care where it's extreme and, and we pump people full of, of synthetic drugs and it really... Mm freaks me out that my children's bodies are so pure they come out beautiful mm. and I really didn't want to add anything to their bodies that that wasn't you know, like kind of as as healthy as possible um yeah I'm not really sure what what pushed me that way it just felt like the right thing and you yeah. had that gut instinct as a parent and I really felt like 
things that came from nature and things that were um, kind of pure in their form is what my child needed rather than something that had gone through a chem lab. Well, I think, um, I think typically what I hear from people who are, who are sort of immense, you know, immersed in that industry is that you, know, you realise from working in that industry that, A, there is a time and a place for it. That, you know, when you are in that emergency care situation, that it's amazing what they can do and it's amazing you know, they, they save people's lives and it's fantastic. Um, but also that if you're looking for more longer-term solutions, if you're looking for health and wellness, if, as you said, looking to thrive, not just survive, then it's not necessarily what that system is aimed at. And, and you may need to look at other solutions outside of that system as well to try and help you more with that health and wellness side of things. Is that sort of your experience? Yeah, absolutely. I think because I was working in intensive care, the people that I saw were extreme. You know, my kids, if they fall over, I'm like, you're fine. You know, there's no blood gushing. You're right. You know, I, I saw an extreme version of the medical world. Um, so when it came to birth and when it came to wellness in my family, that wasn't where I turned to because to me that's for extreme medicine. And, yeah, as you said, they do an amazing job and, and it's got a purpose. I don't think we need to be reaching for tablets for an everyday health perspective. I think there's other ways around. And it might take a little bit longer sometimes, but it heals the problem rather than just kind of masking the problem yeah beautiful now jane as we mentioned earlier you'd already listened to this podcast show and and it sounds like you're a bit of a podcast junkie so how did you get into (laughs) podcast and what are your favorites uh so that would be my husband um so he's he's a big podcast listener i think um when he works he likes to have on the background he has things that, that run on the computer so he likes to have something to entertain his mind while the computer's doing its thing um so he was big into podcast listening and, and it was he was coming out with all this knowledge and all these things. He's like, Jane, you've got to listen to this. You've got to see what's happening out there. And have you heard this? Have you seen that? So he got me into it and he started me off by he got me an iPod. He downloaded things for me and he goes, you listen to these people and these people. And so really, it's, I've got to thank him. Um, I mean, I have the... And, and so how did he get into podcasts, Jane? What, what was it? <laughs> and, and particularly know. health podcasts. What, what made him go in that direction? Because I'm sure there's lots of partners out there thinking, oh, I'd love my partner to be listening to some health podcasts. How do I make that happen? Yeah, yeah right. I, I guess he's just... We're really similar-minded in that we we have a thirst for knowledge and a thirst for what else. Um, we love to, to see what else is happening out there. He likes to be um, up to date with... Uh, you know, the science and the medical and, um, you know, different CrossFit things and the um, survival podcast. I think that really intrigues him, that that whole world. So I don't know. You have to ask him. I don't know where you first got onto podcasts. It just was one of those things that evolved. Well, first of all, you're going to have to get him to send me the details of the survival podcast because that sounds really cool. (laughs) I want to listen to that. So just make sure he sends me that afterwards, all right? But um, that's awesome. And so aside from the obvious, you know, that paleo show and the wellness guys, what are your favorite podcasts? What do you like to listen to? So I really like one called The Slow Home. That's really lovely, Um, talking about just getting out of the rat race and, and being conscious about what's around us, less consumerism, connectedness with your family and the earth around you and the house around you. I think that's a really beautiful um, podcast. Uh, I love the food program from the BBC because it's food. I think that's awesome. (laughs) Um, I listen to Basic Brewing Radio because they talk about kombuchas and beers and (laughs) ciders and stuff. Um, There's a tech one that I like because I'm not a tech head at all, but they make me feel like I know stuff (laughs) by listening to them. (laughs) 
And then uh, some biodynamic ones. So biodynamic now I like. I mean, of course, you've got your Cindy Mira um, up for a chat girls, which, yeah. you know, and a quirky journey. Of course, they're, they're always on my feed. Nice. And then there's a, a cheese one as well because cheese is just fun to play with. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've got the whole gamut covered there. So you must, <laughs> how much time do you spend a week listening to podcasts? Um, you know what? It's not so much. I tend to spend more time sleeping with podcasts on. Um, I tend to... <laughs> Does it still go in? Do you just absorb it in your sleep? Yeah, I wonder. I wonder how much it goes in. I mean, there's things that come up, and I'm like, I've heard this before. Um, if it's a really interesting one, then I'm, I find I'm up kind of a bit too late listening. So I try to put something <laughs> on that's a bit more um, mind numbing. There's one called the Podcast History of Our World, which is brilliant. It's all about the history right from back, you know, pre ape time. Um, and that's a brilliant, um, <laughs> I don't want to say it, but going to sleep kind of podcast. <laughs> I'm sure they'd be thrilled to know that they're putting you to sleep. It's an awesome podcast, but his voice is lovely and monotonous. So, yeah, it's really cool. Um, That's probably my favorite to go to sleep to. Um, Yeah, we try to go to bed at a good time because our boys are up pretty early. So it's just something I put on at the night time. And if I remember, then it'll stop after half an hour. If I don't remember, then I wake up sometime through the night and turn it off. So obviously at some stage you realised that this information you'd learnt and the experiences you'd had with your family was something that you could share with other people and that other people were wanting to know and could benefit from. And so you've started the Whole Food Family. Tell us a bit about how that came about. Sure. So I guess for us, we were doing all this cooking at home and it was just kind of breezy. We put on broth and you know the kids had broth soup for breakfast and they would take you know chicken tenderloins and salad for lunch and they would come home to a slow cooked tea. Um, you know they snacked on on fermented vegetables and like they love pickled carrots and it just seemed normal for us. And talking with friends, they're like, "What? How do you get your kids to eat? You know, fermented carrots and and how do you start a broth and what do you put in a broth and how long do you cook a broth for?" So it just started with the friends asking questions, and I thought, "Well, look, I'll put up a Facebook page, and then I'm not bombarding my friends on Facebook with food stuff, and they, if they want to know, they have somewhere to go." So it was just really to help those around me find the information and things mm. that we were doing, just as as food ideas. Um, probably what really cemented. The, the workshops for me was I saw Sandor Katz um, when he came to Sydney. I did a, um, like a, a workshop with him over, over a few days with Milkwood and seeing him ferment. So when he was up there physically making the things versus me just reading the books and just making it on my own and going, I mm. guess this is fine. I'm assuming this is right. Seeing him physically do it really cemented the... Um, the knowledge for me and made me go, yes, I am doing it right. Yes, this is what I want to be doing. Yes, I, you know, it was the way it was meant to taste and smell and look and, and be. Everything was correct. It gave me the confidence to just fly with it. And it made me realize that, gosh, if I'm feeling this way, um, imagine how else other people are feeling. They need to see. They, they don't just need to read. They mm. also need to see. So that's what we started with the workshops is I needed, I felt like people needed to really touch and, and taste and physically do the um, the fermenting and the food to solidify that knowledge rather than just reading a book and that when it says leave it on your bench for seven days, they go mm. like, oh, you know, do I really? <laughs> <laughs> so what was your why for wanting to do that, Jane? What, what was it that sparked you to want to share this information? Was it just looking around at society and their health? Was it looking at other parents' struggles? Was it, you know, looking at other kids and thinking, oh, I wish they knew what I knew? What was your why for, what was your driver to really get out? Out there and want to share this yeah it's really is the health there's so many kids out like my kids and I just want them to be healthy and happy I, I feel like people need to know 
what it's like to thrive and, and how you can get your kids to eat great food without it being a, a chore and that we, you know, you can eat properly. You don't have to rely on what's, what's available. You guys can make it, you know, yourselves and it's not such a, a hard thing. And I think doing the, the workshops and the teaching allows it to be normalized. So the, there are others out there that will eat the way that my kids eat so they're not the strange ones anymore. Um, and also to, to help. I mean, so many of these, these issues that we have with children nowadays can really be assisted with the food that's being consumed. I really believe that food's such an integral part of, um, of our well-being and our happiness and our you know, mental clarity, so much of it, and sicknesses are so much down to food. Um, and it's the knowledge. If we have the knowledge, then we're brilliant and knowledge is there to be shared. I don't think it's just mine to have. So yeah. I, I really think the, the more we learn, the more we really have to share. All right. So let's share some of that knowledge, Jane. So, um, you know, aside from obviously going out and getting my new ebook, which is Nourish Without Nagging, what other tips have you got for parents <laughs> about how to get their kids to eat this healthy stuff? Well, give us some of your best tips. Yeah, sure. I think uh, leading by example is a really biggie. Like I wouldn't get my kids to eat a plate of sauerkraut if I wasn't going to eat it myself. Um, I think that's a, a really big one. So making it, we did what my kids call, and they, they do it to their classmates, which I think is hilarious. We do what's called the Captain Cook method. Yeah. So we'll get the sauerkraut or whatever new food it is that we're trying to bring into our, our lives, whether it's you know a broth or a, um, you know a different ferment or something. And we'll have it ourselves just a little bit in our plate and we'll talk it up going, oh, you know, I'm really looking forward to trying this tonight. It's so exciting. This is so beautiful. I'm going to feel amazing eating this food. And then not put it on the children's plates. Have their normal food. We sit down together and when we eat it, really enjoy what it is and, and you know, kind of talk about it. Oh, wow, that's, you know, that's sour and crunchy and fantastic. And kids will always ask to try. Like <laughs> yeah. If they see you enjoying it, they're going to ask to try it as well. We're like, oh, you know, it's really special and I'm not sure. Like if you're, you know, maybe you can have a little bit, but this one's mine and make it really special. Yeah. And then they'll have a taste. And because you're enjoying it, they feel like they have to enjoy it too because it's something that you've really honoured. Yeah. And because it's been honoured, then they feel like they should really love it too. Like if they don't, they're missing out and they're not part of the gang. Yeah, so they that. eat it and they go, oh, yeah, okay. That's, and their face scrunches up and you know, they pull this really sour face and they go, mmm, that's delicious, mum. <laughs> and they'll go back again and they go, oh, can I try some more? Yeah. So you do that, maybe it depends on your family. It might be two days, it might be three days, it might be three weeks. But if you keep up that energy automatically the kids will ask for it on their plate. They want to be special too. They want to be not missing out. And then lo and behold, your kids, you know, the bacteria is in their body and they're loving what they're eating and their, you know, their body's feeling better for it. They're automatically going to want more and they don't really like the taste yet, but they know they feel good after eating it. I love that. So that's, that's what Captain Cook did. And my kids, you know, do it with their classmates as well with sauerkraut. He did the same. He put the sauerkraut only on the captain's table and, and didn't let anyone else have it. And then um, there's a big uproar and he goes, yeah, sure, you guys can have some too. And that's how scurvy was abolished and, and they made it to Australia. There you go. I, didn't, I just learned something new about Captain Cook. How good is that? <laughs> and do you know what else I do, Jane? I, sometimes I do almost a flip of that where I actually do put it straight onto my kid's plate. Um, but then I do the same thing. I'm like enjoying mine. I'm eating mine. I'm loving it. I'm telling them how good it is, how strong it's going to make me, all those sort of things. And then I go, can I have some of yours because I'm just loving this? And so I actually start eating it off of their plate. 
and, yeah. and that works the same because then they're like, hey, get protective. Dad likes that yeah. so much. He's eating mine. I'm missing out here. Like, no, you can't have mine. I'm going to eat it all up. And they just start hoeing into it because they want to get into it before I steal it off of them. And uh, yeah. and it works the same. So I think that's it's a great so tip. true. I so, think marketing is just so important for kids. If if yeah. they see enjoyment and they see you having a positive with something, then they're going to look for that. And it comes with, I mean. There's so many, um, if you take it on the negative, there are so many things that we give kids as treats and rewards that are not really brilliant for them. If you do the same thing with great foods, like our kids, if they're they're super good and we're like, look, this is what we're looking for in your behavior today, we need to do, you know, A, B and C. If we achieve A, B and C as a family, how about we celebrate by getting a dragon fruit? Yeah. So make other food a reward and then as they grow up, they're going to go, oh, you know, like I'm really, you know, excited or whatever. I mean, I know food as a reward is not a brilliant thing, but at the same time, if you are treating your body well and you're eating good food as reward, then you're always going to look for good food as reward. If you go, look, really good, let's go get, you know, cake or lollies or whatever, then they go, okay, whenever I'm feeling this way, that's when I'm allowed to eat. Yeah. So it's just putting those things in place from an early age. You've got to be so conscious as a parent of those links you're creating, don't you? Because they are links that stay with them for the rest of their life. Yeah, absolutely. And they're really hard to break. Like I've been through it. I know for years. We've all got them, haven't we? Oh, for sure. Like I'm tired or I'm running around or I've worked really hard or I deserve coffee and cake. You know, or, you know, I'm having some time out for me. I'm going to go have coffee and cake. And it's just one of those things that was, you know, part of my not necessarily upbringing but it was around you know the cappuccino machines came in when we were mm. growing up and mm-hmm. everyone went out for coffee and then they started having a piece of cakes with it you got coffee and cake deals and it was considered a treat and a spoiling yeah. so then as I became an adult that was something that was considered you know I can do this for myself now and it took a while to break that and go look you don't actually need coffee and cake yeah. it's not actually going to help you at all <laughs> and that was even before the baby chino generation Jane Oh, my God, I know. That was my eldest was the baby Chino. Like it was something starting then where every, you know, yeah. couple of cafes would have it. Um, and it's, it's, it's so funny now. I think people pay 250 for a, a baby Chino now. Right. I reckon that, you know, it's quite amazing what's, what's around. That's a, that's, a good, art in it. that's a good profit margin right there, I tell you what. Oh my God, isn't it? I know. <laughs> so, Jane, we're almost out of time already, but before we go, I'd love you to talk about um, getting some fermented food into kids. What are your, what are your best tips for it and what, what, which ones should people start with? What do you reckon parents should start with in terms of getting a little bit of fermented food into their kids? Sure. Um, oh. It, it will depend on your palates, I suppose. Like my kids are probably quite unique in that they loved kimchi and that's where they started. Mm. So kimchi is a Korean spicy cabbage pickle. Yeah. Um, it's got chili and ginger and garlic, so it's really spicy and they call it kimchi chili chili. So that's where they started. So we're probably the extreme um, in that and that's just what was our first ferment and so therefore that's what they first brought up on and it was just little bit by little bit, as we said, with the sauerkraut. Your drinks are really easy. So kombucha, kefir, kvass, because they're a liquid, they can be used in a salad dressing. They can be sprinkled on top of mashed potato if that's what you eat. They can be, um, you know, put over over your meals or just drunk or mixed in with water to dilute it. So the drinks are a really easy way to get it in. You don't need a lot at all. Like that's, I think, where some people get mistaken. They'll serve it like a soft drink and they'll drink bounds of it you don't need a lot of these things they're they're medicinal drinks and you know go easy especially when beginning um and some of them still contain sugar even though the sugar a lot of it gets eaten up and digested you know it's still a version of sugar so just to to go easy 
sauerkraut, I think it's just, you know, the bee's knees. Again, you can make sauerkraut juice for kids, so even yeah. for really little babies, um, you know, really young ones, when they're starting to eat, you can put the sauerkraut juice onto their, their vegetables and things for them to eat or just sucking it off your finger so you, they can get the probiotics through the juice. Um, and sauerkraut can be mixed through salads and through vegetables and through a lot of things to, to incorporate it. So they're probably good, easy places to start. My kids love pickles. Nice. Um, so pickles to be cut up again through salads, through vegetables. It becomes a salty component like we would know, sun-dried tomatoes and olives. Your pickles add a, a great salty character and they don't need to be eaten straight. You can disguise them. So we do what's called ham chow bao, which is like a lettuce cup with a homemade hamburger with some pickles on top and then some tomato on top of that and then probably some mayonnaise as well. And they wrap it up in the lettuce cup. So it's like a, um, the sand chow bao that you get from the Chinese but with a hamburger inside. So they call it, the kids call it ham chow bao and that will give them, you know, the, the fermented, we'll probably have sauerkraut in there as well. So they'll get sauerkraut ferment, they'll get a pickle ferment and then we'll have a cultured mayonnaise. So there's oh. three different cultured things just in one meal and they have no idea. They just think they're eating a hamburger. Well, you know, Joan, I've never done pickles and I've never done cultured mayonnaise. So if you've got a recipe for those, I'd love you to share them with me and I can share them on oh, that Paleo Show page because... Um, I'd love to people to be able to have a go. I would. I want to have a go at those two. Really, it's just me. I'm selfish when it comes to this sort of stuff. I want to have a go at those two. But I'm thinking if I want to have a go at it, there's probably other people listening who'd like to have a go at it too. Do you reckon you can find a recipe for that you can share with us? Yeah, absolutely. No worries. That'd be awesome. All right. Well, we are almost out of time, Jane. But before we go, I want to talk to you a little bit about your workshops and also your ebook. So you, you've mentioned a couple of times the fermenting workshops. You do those all around the country by the sound of it. So um, do you want to talk a little bit about what you've got coming up in that regard? Yeah, sure. So uh, February and March is pretty um, fully booked for workshops. So I've focused mainly in Newcastle because it's where I live and uh, working with a lot of allied health professionals, their clinics and, and their places. We bring people in and do workshops there. So, you know, chiropractors and naturopaths and people will work in their clinics and run workshops for their customer base so they nice. can get on the, um, you know, the, the fermenting bandwagon, so to speak. I think there's a lot of allied health professionals who will subscribe um, fermented foods but then people are losses to how to make them so February we've got them coming up um, in Newcastle they're all on my webpage all of the dates um, we've got talks in place for uh, Queensland South Australia later in the year we're just getting some some details together so hopefully that'll nice. that'll come up soon um, and then with some co-ops and food co-ops here in Newcastle as well so getting that word out people who are already on the health um you know, kind of train, just getting some, some further knowledge well, with them. There are some wonderful chiropractors I know in Newcastle. I know a number of them over there. We've even interviewed a couple of them there on the show, and, and particularly one of my great friends, Dr. JC Prima, who is about to start her own practice in Newcastle, and she focuses yes. a lot on family and kids, and she is absolutely she wonderful. Does. So you guys would get on great guns. You know, JC? Well, I do know JC. I actually worked with JC years ago. Um, we no did way. a DVD together because I used to work for um, Ergo Baby, you know, the beautiful baby carriers. So I did a film with her um, all about baby hips and, and baby wearing. There you go. Small world, hey? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And JC's done a sauerkraut class with me. So, yeah, we do know each other. She's lovely. She's so much fun. Um, yeah, absolutely. You guys would have a ball. All right, so tell us about your ebook, Jane. Sure. So it came about, I was talking, I, I mean, one of the other chiropractors who I know you know, which is Bryce. Um, yes, he and He's I, been uh, on the show too. He has, absolutely. So we were talking cookbooks and, and paleo food and um, and shooting some ideas around. And my sister said to me, hey, before you get stuck into a big cookbook, can you just do a cookbook um, out in time for Christmas because I don't know what to cook. So I'm like, yeah, no worries, let's do an ebook." 
So it started from there. I've had recipes, you know, floating around on my desktop and and putting out through, you know, the Facebook world. And so it was just a, a combination of all those things. So it's got some fermenting in there, like the beetroot crevasses in there and the kimchi is in there. Um, and just a lot of good gut healing foods. So using gelatin and using good fats, using fermented foods, things that are really going to help you to, to be nourished and thrive. They've all been kid tested. They've been neighbor tested. My poor neighbors moved in as I was writing the book. So they got lots of knocks on the door, <laughs> lots of tastings. Um, and just really trying to get foods out that are easy for people to make. They don't take a really long time, but really delicious, simple, and, and really gut healing. Beautiful. Sounds wonderful. So obviously everyone can get hold of that by heading to your website. Um, so that is wholefoodfamily.com.au. They can find out all about your workshops and your eBooks there. Um, they can also find you on Facebook, Whole Food Family, and Instagram, Whole Food Family. So that's just keeping it pretty easy for them. Um, I'm sure you know if you've got kids, if you've got a family, then there's going to be heaps of great information there. So make sure you go there, give it a like, and, uh, and tune in for some great information to come. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jane. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Topics that I'm very passionate about, some fermenting, some kids' health. So it's great to share this information. So until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.